favor and all of the, the social implications that followed, the erasure of debts and some of the social arrangements were dramatically restructured as good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Liberty for the captives, the, the blind receiving sight, and so on and so forth. Now, in that pronouncement from Jesus, he is, of course, referring back to the year of Jubilee that is prescribed in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25. And that passage, that prescription involves some dramatic social upheaval as well, like forgiven debts, property being returned to the original owner, the freeing of slaves. And those social upheavals were quite costly for the folks involved, especially those who had benefited from the current arrangements. But one of the underlying assumptions when it comes to the year of Jubilee for the people of God, all of those practices and those requirements that are involved is the idea that the people of God have a good king. God himself and their king could be trusted. God would provide everything they needed. So they had the freedom to erase debts or to return property to the original owner. Their, their task was not to worry themselves with their personal security, but to train their minds to trust their king. The year of Jubilee not only required a solid trust of their king, but practicing it would surely lead to a deepened trust. So with all of that in mind, as gratitude is on our minds, what better time to return to a focus of the importance of gratitude in the lives of Christians than Christ the King Sunday. Christ our King can be trusted. So this is going to be a continuation of sorts of our topic last week. Last week we looked, worked our way through Psalm 98, sing to the Lord a new song. Rejoice in the God of our salvation. Make a joyful noise. And that psalm of exuberant joy and praise to our God and psalms like it play an important role in establishing joy as a rhythm of life that we are consistently plunged into. So we looked briefly last week at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 to consider that rhythm of joy. Today I want to continue in Philippians chapter 4 to consider yet another rhythm that as followers of Jesus we should be dipping our feet into. Philippians chapter 4, pick it up where we were last week. Rejoice in the Lord always, it's verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So last week we stop pretty much at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if that wasn't challenging enough, Paul goes on, don't be anxious about anything. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but instead let your supplications and thanksgiving be known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead present your requests and your needs to your good Father and trust that your King is walking by your side. Thanksgiving and active gratitude, I think, may be one of the most important antidotes to the anxiety and despair that plague our world today. I don't know about you, but do you, do you feel that plague? Anxiety and stress about the present or fear about the future? I think that is seen especially in times that are tumultuous economically. I mean, how's my retirement portfolio doing, right? Or maybe a more fundamental question, what even is a retirement <laughs> portfolio? If that is where your mind goes, I'm with you there. That, that's a pipe dream. Um, th there's no way I'm going to have enough to make that a reality by the time I'm 75 or 85, much less 65. Or, Maybe for you, the stress or the fear is much more immediate. I, I can't think about retirement because I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family or pay my bills next month. There are, these are very real concerns that weigh heavy on the minds of many, I think especially as we enter yet another holiday season where expenditures naturally increase for a variety of reasons. And I don't want to minimize that or, or trivialize those serious stressors and anxieties that uncertainty like that can lead to. However, as followers of Jesus, we have been instructed not to be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Not that the causes of anxiety and those very real challenges disappear. They certainly don't always disappear, but we don't have to let them control us and dictate every move and that we make and every attitude that we have. So even when things aren't going well, as we talked about last week, we can still rejoice and have joy. So too, we can be free of worry about tomorrow because we are growing in a deeper and deeper trust of our King. Let's continue reading. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true, honorable, pure, just think about these things. And while the context of what Paul is saying may not be directly related to our conversation this morning, I think there are some implications that have direct points of application to this conversation about gratitude because our habits of mind, what we allow our minds to dwell on, will have a serious impact on the rest of our lives. And just like joy is not a denial of sorrow, 
So thinking about these good things that Paul has listed here, that is not a denial of evil or hardship or suffering or the bad that we might face. But we are training our minds to see not only those negative realities. Those negative realities are going to be there, but we want to train our minds so that we can also recognize the good, the just, the pure, the honorable. There was a 20th century Eastern Orthodox ascetic who once said, sometimes the devil deceives us and makes us unable to be pleased with anything. He went on to suggest that we can resist that impulse. We can resist that temptation and can celebrate all things in a spiritual manner with doxology and a reflection of and recognition of God's many blessings. But think about that. Sometimes we are uh, deceived in such a way that we are unable to be pleased with anything. Does that sound like one of the predominant ailments of the modern man and woman? And I don't know if that tendency has been intensified as we are all now products of the customer service economy, right, where the customer is always right, and if the customer's always right, well, I can always find something to be unhappy about because I'm never going to get pushback. I'm always right about whatever's wrong, so I can complain about everything. And I get it. I, I worked in the customer service industry for several years. I spent three years working in tourism and hospitality. I spent a year working at a coffee establishment where people had very particular preferences about how their coffee was made and how it was served. I get it. I've experienced, and some of those experiences have actually made me so paranoid about avoiding that that I basically refuse to complain or return food because I don't want to do that. I mean, a server would pretty much have to drop my burger on the floor and stomp on it before I would even consider returning it. And that's not to suggest that I'm always filled with gratitude or that I'm always satisfied with what I have purchased. I most certainly am not. But our culture has insisted and taught us that there's always something to complain about. And it's fine to have preferences. It's fine to have certain expectations of the things we purchase, that they would meet certain standards, but when we are trained to always spot what's wrong, when that habit becomes so ingrained in us, we may eventually become incapable of seeing anything else. If we're not careful, we can begin to adopt these attitudes which will prevent gratitude at all because there's always something that could be better. So this is one of the things I think we need to try to understand as the people of God. That that is that perfection is not a prerequisite for gratitude. Perfection is not a prerequisite for gratitude, at least not for followers of Jesus. We want to be able to express gratitude habitually. Not only when we feel like it, but habitually despite imperfection. Even when things aren't going how we planned, 
we still learn to express gratitude because there are always things that we enjoy and do not deserve. There are always graces. However bad things might be in our lives, there are always graces at work in our lives. Yes, they may be buried under multiple layers of dissatisfaction, but I think the discipline of gratitude can help us peel back some of those layers of dissatisfaction. As we think about, as Paul mentioned, the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. As we think about those things, intentionally, our eyes and our minds are opened to the graces of God that are always at work, that are always evident in our lives in different ways. I think in some ways what Paul is suggesting here is a key to gratitude. And it sort of has this snowball effect. And maybe it's also the the classic chicken and the egg scenario, right? Which comes first, my ability to see God's graces uh, or my practice of expressing gratitude for those. I think they feed on one another. As we focus our minds on the things that are true, just, pure, lovely, we are then moved to gratitude. And then that discipline of gratitude tunes our hearts to be able to hear and recognize the rhythms of grace. The discipline of gratitude focuses our minds, again, to recognize God's grace, to focus on something other than the ways that I've been cheated to focus on something other than the way things aren't going right or the ways that I wish my situation would change. And as I enter again into that discipline, it becomes natural to see God's graces because I have become accustomed to looking for it. My eyes, my mind has been trained to spot the graces of God. St. John Chrysostom talking about how we as humans can achieve happiness. And it's not the way that the fast food burger place down the street suggests that we find happiness. There's a sign just down the street that says something along the lines of happiness depends on a good patty melt. St. John Chrysostom was not getting at that. But he said that humans can achieve happiness by finding the ability to enjoy whatever life we have, and that requires this process of transforming our greed into gratitude. Transforming the desire for more and more, the desire for something different all the time into contentment and gratitude for life as it is today. For many of us, there is this tendency, I think, if our minds have been trained by our culture Regardless of how well things are going, we can find something that's not quite right, something we wish we could change, something that we will complain about if we can find a willing and listening ear. Likewise, every one of us, if our minds have been trained in a Christian manner, we we have an inexhaustible list of the mercies of God for which we can and should express our thanksgiving. The 4th century Cappadocian church father, St. Basil the Great, which I I love that, the Great, 
St. Basil the Great. He put it like this. He said, when you sit down to eat, pray. When you eat bread, do so thanking him for being so generous to you. If you drink wine, be mindful of him who has given it to you for your pleasure and as a relief in sickness. When you dress, thank him for his kindness in providing you with clothes. When you look at the sky and the beauty of the stars, throw yourself at God's feet and adore him. Sorry, I lost it. Adore him who in his wisdom has arranged these things in this way. Similarly, when the sun goes down and when it rises, when you are asleep or awake, give thanks to God who created and arranged all things for your benefit to have you know, love, and praise their creator. If only our eyes and our minds could be opened enough to recognize the many seemingly insignificant easy-to-miss mercies of our God. Things that we take for granted every day, like putting clothing on in the morning. I don't know about you, but gratitude is typically not on my mind as I'm getting dressed. I typically do so rather thoughtlessly, except for mornings when I am plagued by indecision about what shirt I'm going to wear. Thanking God for the easy-to-miss mercies of God. Like this very simple shirt that I was able to put on this morning or a meal that I'm able to enjoy that I actually do so three times a day. When we pray before a meal in our house, the the prayer that I've tried to start using, although our oldest daughter, Cora, always has uh, other plans, which usually involves singing a prayer or singing some other song that is not a prayer at all, but, but this is the prayer that I, what we're trying to start using. It goes like this. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, for you give us food to sustain our lives and make our hearts glad. Bless, O Lord, these gifts to our use and us to your service and make us ever mindful of the needs of others. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. I think prayer before a meal, something so simple, and it certainly can become just another formality. I also think it can be such an important practice through which we train our minds to recognize the ordinary, everyday pleasures and necessities, and that those ordinary, everyday pleasures and necessities are expressions of the mercy of God in our lives. We thank God for the simple gift of a meal. And also remind ourselves that there are others in our own community, others around the globe who are going without while I am enjoying this simple gift. And I remind myself that as a recipient of unearned graces and unearned favor, I also have a responsibility to be a purveyor of unearned graces in the lives of others. I mean, how can I continue to be ungrateful or picky or really particular in my fine-tuned ability to find something wrong with 
everything. How can I do that if I am consciously reminding myself that not everyone is able to enjoy a meal like this in this moment? And this thing that I'm enjoying right now is not something that I have earned or something that I deserve. St. Ambrose said we must begin with thanksgiving for everything. We begin with thanksgiving for everything. The beginning of joy is to be content with your situation. The beginning of joy is to be content with your situation. One of our tasks as Christians, one of the things that we are trying to do is to train our minds in contentment. Everything in our lives is pushing us in the other direction. Our culture is pushing us in the, dire- the other direction. You can always find something that's not right. Customer's always right. We want to push back against that. Train our minds in contentment. To train our eyes to recognize. To be able to see the mercies and graces of our God in ordinary and extraordinary ways. That we might think about that we might dwell on these things that are true, good, pure, honorable. And as we dwell on those things, that's what we begin to recognize. We can begin to spot it. Our our scripture reading this morning that Austin read for us, Colossians chapter 1, declares the preeminence The supremacy of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, Paul says. The creator of everything that exists. Christ is the image of God who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. The one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. Christ is our king. Christ is the Lord over all creation. So just as we started with Colossians chapter 1 today, I want to end with Paul's thought from the next chapter. Colossians chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord and be encouraged this morning. Colossians 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. Kevin, if you want to come up, would you stand with us today? Austin, if you join me as we prepare to celebrate around the Lord's table today. And I'd like to invite you to join me in this prayer. It should be on the screen behind me. We'll wait for one moment. You could also find it in the little worship folder on the seats. But would you join me in this prayer of thanksgiving as we approach the table of our Lord, reminded yet again of the never-ending mercies and grace that we find in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessing of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, 
for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen.